This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Speak for Yourself. I'm Marcel Swally. Emmanuel Acho is out today, but I got Fox NBA analyst Slick Rick Dubuker and Antoine Walker with me. So let's get it started with the NBA Finals. Warriors bounced back in the big way last night with a blowout win over the Celtics. Steph Curry led the way with 29 points. Jordan Poole capped off Golden State's dominant third quarter with a 39-foot three-pointer. Swish. Series is tied up at a game apiece with Game 3 on Wednesday in Boston. So, Slick, how big of a statement did the Warriors make in Game 2? They did not make a statement, Marcellus. If anybody from the Warriors' side of the equation made a statement, it was Draymond Green. And that statement was, I can bully you and the referees all by myself. Mm. Uh, Because that's exactly what he did. Uh, Look, I didn't quite understand why the Boston Celtics played the way they did against the Miami Heat. I attributed it to they weren't ready for the bright lights on this stage. And what I've since come to understand is it had more to do with the physicality of the Miami Heat. Took the Boston Celtics out of their game. They're not comfortable playing that way. And I thought, well, that's why they were able to win game one, because the Golden State Warriors can't play that physical. And uh, and that's why they should have a chance of winning the series, even though I had the Warriors going in. And then game two came along and Draymond Green demonstrated, I I can bully you guys all by myself. I don't need (laughs) P.J. Tucker. I don't need anybody else with me, Kyle Lowry, anybody else, Bam Adebayo. I don't need anybody else. I can do it all by myself. So Draymond demonstrated that he can be a one-man wrecking crew. And if anything, the Boston Celtics uh, demonstrated or their statement was that they haven't learned their lesson yet. Because all of that physicality caused them to turn the ball over and make bad decisions with it, threw them off of their game. And that's essentially what the Warriors took advantage of. I really don't feel, Celis, Twan, as if the Warriors played markedly better Mm. in any way, offensively or defensively. I just think they were a little more physical and it threw the Celtics completely off their game. And as a result, they were able to run away with it. And the Celtics, as we've seen, Tuan, we've seen this. Their defensive effort is affected by their offensive efficiency. And we saw that spiral in this game. And unfortunately, we've seen it more than once in this postseason. I'm with you, Slick. The only statement I've seen is you making a statement against AirPods right now with that Radio Shack, (laughs) that that, that single (laughs) headphone you got going on. It's okay. It's been a long morning, huh? (laughs) 
I'm just doing what the producers <laughs> asked me to do. They didn't trust. They didn't trust the wireless. So uh, I'm, this is what I'm rolling with. I'm going with the old hard landline. Oh, okay. Next thing you know, you're gonna have the Nino Brown cell phone out here. Next thing you know, the brick gonna come back. All right, Slick. Slick I, I am with you though. I didn't see a statement from the Golden State Warriors. What I saw was a response, but not a statement. Let's say the difference right here. A statement is what you declare. From hello to goodbye, this is exactly what I wanted. I dictated terms for four quarters. Oh, we didn't see that from the Golden State Warriors. What we saw was a response. A response to a game one in which you got robbed right there at home court, right there in the Chase Center. What we saw was a response to a team that was only down two at the half, and you're still fighting it out with mm. the Boston Celtics. What I saw was a response to the fact that you're fighting the Boston Celtics and you had to say you had a come to Jesus moment in your mental approach in this game. That's all a response from these Golden State Warriors. And that's what's interesting about this series right now. We're not going to see blowouts necessarily throughout this entire series because it's going to get more and more contentious. You can see that these are evenly matched teams for different reasons. The defense of the Boston Celtics is playing its part in this series. Therefore, they are now tied going back to Boston. Where the Golden State Warriors after game one shocked, caught off guard, surprised by how well the Boston Celtics were able to handle their onslaught, handle their blitz from the beginning. And now they find themselves tied in the series going back to Boston, where if you look at the Golden State Warriors, they're not the same team on the road. Golden State Warriors have a losing record on the road this postseason. So there are some doubt birds starting to fly with the Golden State Warriors, despite them having a great third quarter and winning that game yesterday. But no statement from the Golden State Warriors, just a bunch of responses. Well, I like both, both you guys' points are, are taken well. But I think when you really get into the numbers and really look at this game, I think one, you got to start with the turnovers. The Boston Celtics turned the ball over 19 times. And when you're playing against a Golden State team, you can't do that because that's going to lead to easy opportunities and open three-point shots. And you saw Steph get loose a couple times, obviously in transition after turnovers, and make some threes. Then also to me, I think that sticks out that we got to talk about is the bigs. I know, Rick, you talked about Draymond Green, but Draymond Green and Looney were great. They outplayed mm. Robert, Robert Williams and Al Horford, which they didn't do in game one. So they bounced back and now played them. You're talking about 21 points, 13 rebounds from their two bigs. And Boston bigs were two for five combined with only 10 rebounds. I think that's where the difference mm -hmm. in the game is at because that shows the physicality of the game. That shows the others stepping up. And then let's put the icing on the cake. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown were not good last night. Clay wasn't good, but both Al, Hor Al Horford and Marcus Smart did not play well last night. And the Celtics cannot beat Golden State without a collective team effort. Well, different. I, I said this before. I believe Marcus Smart is the X factor in the series. Mm. And that, 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 and I'm not saying he has to get 20 or 25 points, but he has to have his imprint on the game, whether that's defensively making plays. He has to help out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. He's going to be the difference in this series. So, Boston should feel good. You got your one. Now you go back home, but the thing that's a little scary, Rick, is that Boston is not a great home team in the playoffs. Nope. So that doesn't nope. mean anything. They're, they're, yep. they're they've been great on the road. They haven't been great at home. So I'll be interested to see how they respond on Wednesday night.
Yeah, a, a lot of that's going to have to do, Tuan, with how they feel about going home. Did they feel, did, did game two scare them enough or get their attention enough where they're like, hey, we can't half step? Because I feel like that's, they're always downshifting first opportunity where they're like, they, they demonstrate their dominance and then they, they, they downshift. It's not just the turnovers. You talked about the turnovers, and that is, to me, the key to this. The Boston Celtics turnovers are the key to this entire series and whether they are going to win or lose it. But it's not just that they turn the ball over. It's where they turn the ball over. Hmm. I learned something just recently. My, I, I always assumed that uh, when, you shot, when you got into it and you were shooting threes and missing threes, that that was the biggest production. That's what produced fast-break opportunities. Long shots, creating long rebounds. What I was told is the analytics say, no, when you miss a shot at the rim, mm. that produces more fast break layups going the other way and more fast break points than missed three pointers. And that's where the Celtics were turning the ball over. That's why I'm, I can't give uh, to Celis's point. Like, I don't think it was some big defensive statement. Here we are. We're big and bruising and we're going to shut you down even though they kept them well under 100, it was that uh, the, the Celtics were getting into the paint. They were getting where they wanted to go, and then their drop-off passes and their decisions as to whether to shoot or to pass or what to do with it, that's where it went all uh, haywire. So they were getting where they needed to go. They simply were not finishing it all in, at the rim in an efficient way. And that's where I feel like if they just turn that, if they change that, then they can get back to the way things were in game one. If they don't, then the Warriors are going to have these surges and the Celtics can't score in bunches like the Warriors can. They have to just be a little bit more efficient. But it's why, again, why I don't see this as a big thing that the Warriors did. It was more from the Celtics side saying, hey, like we've we've done this before. We've done we've, <laughs> We've had a big win, and <laughs> yeah. then we've given it right back in the next game. That's what I saw. Yeah, the Celtics, they have to respond. That's what we need to see from the Celtics. Um, you saw them go out there last night, and they had the fewest amount of points they've scored this postseason. Why? They gave up the most points off of turnovers they had this postseason. So that added up to the worst loss for them this postseason in 19 points. And what happened to them? It's not just like, oh, the Boston Celtics lost. They didn't show up. In particular, a few of their players. Al Horford, 26 points, goes down to two points. You got Derek White, 21 points, goes down to 12 points. Marcus Smart, you have 18, you go down to two points. Robert Williams only played 14 minutes. It all adds up to where this is one of those games where Coach may say, I don't know, it's the NBA Finals, but he may say, we're not watching that tape because that's not us. All of these guys not responding in game two like they did in game one. Even though the series is tied, you're going back to Boston. I don't think psychologically these teams feel even. I think Boston is going to feel better going back now because if you realize we had our worst loss because some of our key performers just didn't show up, maybe if they just play a little bit better offensively with the same level of intensity on the defensive side, we got the Golden State Warriors number. And I want to I want to add to that. Boston should feel good. I mean, it's a two point game at halftime. Yes, they played well. They responded. I thought they responded really, really well, taking the crowd out the game and and making it a real game. They get a, they have to get away. And this is two games in a row. And Golden State, we know that they do this. Uh, they've been doing this. They're great at this in the third quarter. 
is getting off these huge runs. They got to come out that third quarter ready to play because Golden State really jumps on you in the third quarter. And if you look at this game, 35 to 14 last night, you can't have that type of swing. You got to be able to play even or at least keep the game in striking distance come the fourth quarter. It's tough to come back. You came back with 13 the first game one. It's tough to come back to these big margins against a team that shoots the basketball as well as, as Golden State and have those three veterans on that team. So something, if I'm Boston, I still feel good. We went and got us one. We're in a great position right now. We had control of this series. We've regained. We got a home court advantage. And let's see if we can take care of that business now. Exactly. I mean, the way that they're handling Wiggins right now, his points per game going down, shooting only 44 from the field, which is his worst this postseason. And Klay Thompson, oh, God. Oh, oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah, we all said that Clay was just a notch off of who he was. But against this defense, it looks like notches. So Golden State, which is a losing team in the postseason on the road, going against the Boston Celtics, who don't play the same at home, but still have a winning record at home. Oh, big statement needs to be made by one of these teams in game three. Coming up, the NBA Finals are all tied up. So who is really in control? Control. We'll answer that next. Don't speak for yourself. Well, Janet didn't sound like that. No, 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 nope. How you know? You ain't got two headphones. Well, Steph Curry scored 29 points to lead the Warriors to a blowout win last night. It was a different story from game one that saw the Celtics go on a 40 to 16 fourth quarter run for the win. Game three will shift to Boston on Wednesday. So Antoine, who has control of the series, Celtics or Warriors? I still think the Celtics have control. I think when going in there, obviously, and getting one game was huge for them. You do not want to be down 0-2 and put yourself in a must-win situation going back home to Boston. So I think they did a good job of obviously giving themselves a, a better chance to win the series, which I still believe they're going to win. The but now having home court advantage, and I said this before, I'm still a little skeptical about the Celtics because they haven't shown me that they could be great at home. But I think they mm. got control. Um, they really had two bad quarters. Those two third quarters have mm. been the quarters that have really killed Boston. So they got to look at film and watch that. But they got to feel good about their game plan. Um, they've not allowed Klay Thompson to get involved in the series. Jordan Poole hasn't been the same a guy we saw throughout the playoffs. So they've done a good job in, in containing both of those guys. Now you got to figure out Steph a little bit. Mm. Steph is averaging 30 for the series. Um, he's shooting the three really, really well. He's really aggressive offensively. So now you got to figure out what are you going to do in his pick and roll coverages. He seems to be dominated when they do when they're switching the bigs on him. So you got to figure out something to guard him. But I, the Celtics should feel really good where they at um, right now in this series. And one thing I can say is not I believe the X factor is Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart has to figure out who he's going to guard consistently throughout the series and how we can impact this game in every which way possible because they need him to be energetic. Needing to do a little what Draymond's doing. Just kind of all over the place, being in the jet, uh, presenting the physicality um, in this series. They need Marcus Smart to do that as well. So hopefully he can get going with the home crowd to get that energy for the Celtics. Yeah, the Celtics definitely have control of this series right now. Um, as you can say, they're playing with house money because they stole a game in Golden State's house. They just walked into Golden State in game one and won that game to the shock of the Warriors and their faithful. Now... Here's a stat for you. For all the teams that have won a game one of the NBA Finals on the road, oh, my God. You know what those teams' win percentage is? 71%. 
Whoa, this has swung from a like uh, Golden State slight favorite to now uh, it's tilting towards them still in that game one on the road. So now you look at the Boston Celtics and their mentality of like, we walked in your house, stole your girl. Oh, you ran back out the house and said, no, 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 we're going to stay together. But don't think we're even because I shouldn't be able to walk in your house and steal your girl in the first place, even though she's back with you. And that's what I think everyone's getting caught up in that's rooting for Golden State. Oh, it's still 1-1. Eh, 1-1 and same numbers, but doesn't feel the same because Boston not only have three games at home versus Golden State only has two more. But more importantly, they have control of this series, knowing that they can take a 2-1 advantage and continue to keep this pace that puts the pressure on the Golden State Warriors. Now, we keep saying Golden State Warriors, but we know that they're being led by Steph Curry right now. If they finish this off and win this series, Steph Curry, obviously, finals MVP. But I love the game plan of the Boston Celtics, even though they've had those couple or few bad quarters. It seems that their game plan is Steph is going to be Steph. But we know that Klay Thompson is not Klay Thompson physically, mm. so let's not see Klay Thompson in performance. Oh, Draymond's going to be Draymond, Mr. Impact, but he creates for others, but what if there's no others to create for? So then it focuses in on Jordan Poole, defensive liability, but more importantly, this is a new stage for you as it is for the Boston Celtics. So we're going to test you, young man, to see if you can deal with this defensive intensity on the new stage, the biggest stage, the brightest lights. So far, it's almost worked to perfection in terms of not only stealing the game on the road, but having the control of this series. Yeah, the truth of it is neither one of these teams has control of the series. Yes, the Boston Celtics have home advantage now because they still won. And yes, there's some meaning in those statistics that you rolled out there, Sellis. By the way, I got you a second earbud since uh, oh. you were worried about oh, my, my connectivity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take through. Um, I, I almost feel like normally I'm talking to you guys uh, for the benefit of our audience. I need to talk to our audience right now so they understand mm. why you guys didn't go the direction that I am going right now, even though you know that I'm right. One, Tuan, former Celtic. I know in your heart you'd love to see the Boston Celtics pull this through, and you're finding every reason to follow that. So you're looking at it going, hey, 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 hey. I know what the finals are all about. Uh, they've got home court advantage. Uh, they won a road game. Like, they're in position. Even though you know as well as I do that they're not in control of themselves enough, particularly at home, to say that that's meaningful mm. that they won that game one and tilted the stage. And sell us. You're just saying it with your chest because you pull, you picked the Celtics early on, even before it was popular to do so. Yes, so yes. you're going to keep going down that road. And <laughs> I right. don't blame you for doing it. <laughs> but as I, I look at this series, I think is what makes it so compelling is that we can, you can't count on either one of these teams. You can't count on Clay Thompson. You can't count on Jordan Poole. Like, there is up and down the Golden State Warriors for a defending champion or a, let's say a, a previous champion is very inconsistent. They're very up and down. We saw them get blown out by Memphis. Championship teams generally don't have the ups and downs that they do. And the Boston Celtics, if you're asking me which team is the better team in this series, I'd have to say the Boston Celtics, except they don't always play up to their capability. Mm. And so... For that reason, I can't say that either one of these teams right now has control of the series. 
even if they go out and win game three, because we've seen, particularly when it comes to Boston, they can fall down and get up and then show you how great they are. And the Golden State Warriors have done the same. So I don't know that we're going to see anybody have control of the series until we get to the the last seconds of the deciding game. And that's where we're going to find out who actually comes out on top without ever actually having had control. Hmm. Rick, Rick, you make a great point, I'm, and I'm going to add to that. One thing that gives me confidence in the Celtics, and, and I believe they got control of the series, is what they've went through through this playoff run. They've had mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. They've had a lot of adversity. They had to go to two game sevens to get to, get to this point. I just think they've went through enough. This group has enough resolve. Where they, they, there's nothing that's going to phase them. Losing last night with they lost by 5 or 20 is not going to phase them. They don't lose back-to-back games. They have yet to lose a back-to-back game um, in the playoffs. So I'm very confident that they'll go home and take care of business, especially in game three. And I think the Warriors have more adjusting to do than the Celtics Mm. as the series goes along. Um, Steve Kerr made a great adjustment yesterday going to Gary Payton second. We haven't talked about him. I thought him coming back gave him a burst of energy. They also went with Otto Porter Jr. early. You didn't see Jordan Poole to very late. Um, in the rotation. So Steve Kerr made his adjustments. They played some zone. I mean, they're doing a lot of different things. And arguably their second best player, Clay Thompson, hasn't shown up in this series. And I don't know if it's going to get any better for him. Mm. Um, they've done a terrific job of guarding him. So I think the Celtics feel like they're in control. You got really a one-headed monster on the offensive end that's creating all the problems right now and stuff. They're going to have to get some other guys going. And besides those two quarters, those two outbursts in those quarters, the Celtics have control right now. So I, I believe that going home, they still have control of the series, even though I picked the Celtics in six, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Slick, don't let him fool you, though. He's hiding something. He's burying the lead because he says, uh, very confident in the Boston Celtics in game three and four. He's also very hopeful because he's going to be sitting courtside at games three and four. So Twan might throw on the double X jersey if things get testy out there because he's not only confident, but he's hoping that those Celtics, his Celtics, will prevail. I get it, man. Um, I think something about the Boston Celtics that – doesn't get talked about enough is their respect for their opponent or sometimes even the fear from their opponent. Let's talk about that because they went against the Brooklyn Nets in that opening series and swept them boys. Now, you could say that's a healthy respect or maybe even a little bit of like, these are the Brooklyn Nets, the preseason favorites. They do have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and they didn't play around with their food. And then they get caught up playing the champions. Now, even though the champions were hampered because they didn't have Chris Middleton, still they're the champions and they take them to a game seven. To Twan's point, battle tested. Full, healthy respect. Now you go against the number one seed. And even though they had their injury concerns and issues, you still go through another battle-tested game seven and you win that series. Boston is sitting there like, look, we have full respect for Golden State. You can even say it's a little bit of fear for them. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to do what we've done all the way to this point. Stay mentally tough and apply this pressure on you, especially defensively. But Golden State is feeling a certain way, like their fans keep talking about, oh, well, you know what? Everyone's not shooting well. Clay's not playing well. Jordan Poole looked good in game two, but still, we don't have everything. Our shooters are not shooting. Okay, remember this. 
Boston's game plan is to make sure that they don't get off. And then you can't look at Boston and say, well, they're not playing well offensively because that's not their game plan. Their game plan is exactly strength on strength. Golden State's offense against Boston's defense. Right now, it's a 1-1 series, but trust me, the control is in Boston. Coming up, could Baker Mayfield's next team be in Carolina? Tell you how bright his NFL future really is next on Speak for Yourself. Baker Mayfield is still in Cleveland, but his next team could be in Carolina. Reports say he's, quote, the most likely option for the Panthers. His wife, Emily, gave an update saying Baker's doing great and has been, quote, training a ton and playing plenty of golf in his free time, okay? So we got to bring in Fox NFL analyst T.J. Hushman. So, T.J., how bright is Baker Mayfield's NFL future? It ain't looking that bright. I ain't got my shades <laughs> on. And it's, it's not cloudy outside. It's, Dusty. <laughs> there's just not many options for Baker. Mm. When, you, when you look around the league and everybody keeps saying the Carolina Panthers, the Carolina Panthers, Sam Darnold is under the same contract, that fifth-year option that Baker Mayfield is. Ooh. So they bring in Baker Mayfield. What are they going to do with Sam Darnold? That's basically $38 million in salary and quarter. You, I just don't see that, see that taking place and happening with the – number one, you go to the Panthers this late in the season. There may be guys on that team, and your best receiver has come out and said, I don't want to play with <laughs> Baker. I don't want That's Baker right. on my team. So how is that dynamic if you do that? That's number one. you got to learn the offense, which isn't easy. Everybody runs the same plays, but it's called different. So now you got to learn a new language. The best spot for Baker is probably the Detroit Lions. It, it, will Garrett, Jared Goff be back next year? And if he is, mm. how are they going to be? The, the Detroit Lions have been a bottom-of-the-pack team. I believe Baker can play. Baker can play. When everything is going good around him, which he shown two years ago, with the Cleveland Browns, he can get it done. But since Baker came into the league, no other quarterback in the National Football League has thrown more interceptions than Baker Mayfield. Say it. 56 interceptions. Yeah. And I say that and still say I believe Baker can play. Yeah. It has to be the right situation. The Carolina Panthers is not the right situation. But how bright is his future? I don't know how bright it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not that bright at all. And we're squinting to find how bright it can be because right now it's not the sun that's making me squint. It's looking for that opportunity for you, Baker. God, because you caught yourself in a bind in a bad situation between a rock and a hard place called unemployment going forward. Let's talk about why Baker Mayfield is going to be unemployed going forward. And then that's when his opportunities will blossom, if so. There in the NFL are different levels of desire. You don't believe me? First rounders are desired differently than second rounders, etc. right? You don't believe me? Well, high price free agents are desired different than an undrafted free agent. You don't believe me? The star player doesn't get treated like the 53rd man. Baker Mayfield knows this because he's a former number one overall pick. Baker Mayfield knows this because he's a former franchise quarterback in the eyes of the Cleveland Browns. But whoa. How the mighty have fallen. So now Baker Mayfield finds himself in this position. Wherever he goes, let's just play the Carolina situation out. He goes to Carolina. 
He's not in full desire in terms of they wanted Baker Mayfield. They went to all means to get Baker Mayfield. They had to have Baker Mayfield. You know what happens when they don't really, really need you? They don't give you a ton of leash. They don't give you a ton of opportunities. They don't give you a ton of grace. So that means when you throw that interception, they come down with a heavier hand than if they really, really desired you. Baker Mayfield is going to find himself in a position where he's going to go to the plate and there's already two strikes against him. So any situation he goes to, he has to hit the ground running. And historically, Baker Mayfield has not hit the ground running. Whether you want to talk about his six wins as a rookie, even though that was a good season. You want to talk about the guy who was a walk-on before? Baker Mayfield has been in situations before where he's proved himself. But I don't think that there's an opportunity right now out there that's going to allow him enough space to prove himself. I'm going to credit the fact that both of you are giving this a glimmer of light to the fact that you're former players and probably at some point you feel for a guy who's been put in this situation for whatever reason. But the reality is this is like a lunar eclipse. It is dark (laughs) out there. Darkness. Here, it's not only that, to to TJ's point, like Carolina is the only team we hear them talking about And the report was, if true, that he was supposed to go in there while Matt Corral gets uh, gets his feet under him, gets his feet wet and gets gets ready. So at the very best, he's a placeholder Mm. in Carolina, which means a year from now, he's going to be looking for a job Mm. and he's only making 18 million dollars. That's not a tremendous amount of money for what Baker Mayfield was once considered as, which was right. a, a starter in the NFL. I mean, that's actually bargain basement. Mm. So, there, TJ, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that Baker can still he, – he can play. He can be a serviceable quarterback in the NFL. The fact that there's so little interest in him indicates to me that it's more about it, – it, it's more than just how he plays or his ability mm. to play that there's baggage coming out of Cleveland, that people are looking at it and saying, it's just not worth it. Like, we'd rather go in a different direction than try to make it work with Baker Mayfield. And that's where, honestly, I don't know how you get out from under that. I'm not saying he's Johnny Manziel, but it feels a lot like Johnny Manziel adjacent right now, where... Mm. People are just not willing to give him the opportunity. And we're and, and even in, in the situation with Carolina, Celis, we're talking about a placeholder or the other circumstances we're talking about come in and compete for a job. And no one was even willing to do that. Mm. So that says to me, people are now looking at Baker Mayfield at best as a backup quarterback. And yeah. does he have the demeanor or the attitude in, or, uh, uh, capable of handling being a backup quarterback? All of that, to me, says there is some rough road ahead for Baker Mayfield. There's no reason for me to feel optimistic that his, his career is suddenly going to take a turn. It feels like it is frittering away from him. You have DJ Moore, a receiver. You have Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson comes down and says, I don't want to play with Baker Mayfield. I'm good. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube after you say that. But in a league that is quarterback-driven, Baker Mayfield is 4-17 when he attempts more than 36 passes. 
you 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 cannot have a quarterback mm. that is four and seventeen when the game is in his hands and he has to bring it home. It's tough for Baker, and you're 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 right. Being a former player, you you want to see players that are playing now maximize every opportunity they get. I hope he gets another opportunity. Um, his personality is rubbing people the wrong way. His play isn't yeah. good enough to overlook that personality. He's gonna have to figure Bingo. it out. Yeah, bingo. Uh, look, as former players, I think we try to hold up the meritocracy of sports. Oh, he's good enough to play, so give him a chance, damn it. That's how we mm. always think. That's how we always talk. But sometimes we got to take the audience, the fans, into the human dynamics of when that same player becomes your teammate. So Baker Mayfield comes on the Carolina Panthers, and everybody outside of Sam Darnold is like, oh, Got my report card out about the grade Baker Mayfield and everything he does. The first thing you grade is his personality. So then you go home and your boy call you, hey, I heard y'all got Baker. How's Baker? You're like, yeah, all right, because it's day one. He, you know, he brought the apple to the teacher. He was on his best behavior day one. Yeah, all right. Oh, what? He, he got that gun he could throw? He got that cannon? Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> You know what that adds up to? Carolina, if they go with Baker Mayfield, they're just going to be all right. And that's not yeah. enough. So that's where everyone is stuck in terms of thinking of Baker Mayfield. Does he move the needle? And right now, mm. the only way it really moves is not in the positive direction, and that's because more of personality. Well, Slick will be back with us later, but TJ and I, we're going to switch it up right now with the USFL. And first, take a look back at all the exciting action from Week 8. You mad because you so? Tell me I'm five through seven. It's your last day. What you going to do with today? Cookus gets away. Airing it deep. It's a touchdown. Oh, wow. Through an absolute dime. That's an outstanding grab. Here comes the explosion and the power. Coming up with authority. And a giant hit from the safety. Come up and say hello. Here's the mobility. There it is. Fires a dart. Case Cookus on the run. He'll take it all the way to solve the playoffs for the Philadelphia Stars. All right, TJ, there was a lot going on this weekend in the USFL. We got a real receiver here, so that ball better come in here. But let's go a little deeper on a few plays. So tell me. And I had to catch with my body. I wasn't so. I wasn't so. <laughs> you retired for a reason. Terrible. Boy, what happened to your hands? Oh, please, TJ, tell me about your play of the week. Where your hands? My play of the week. I got to watch this. It's my man, Isaiah. Mm. I'm not off that bottle with Henny. <laughs> you but Isaiah and Henny. <laughs> yeah. He returns, kicks you. You look at it. Let's see it. Goes in motion. Oh, man-to-man coverage. Okay. Run is quick out. The DB's going to over-pursue. Oh, yeah. I'm going to cut back. Got to go. And his touchdown was all yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Nice right move. Here. You know the DB's going to over-pursue over the top. You yeah. cut it back. Oh, he walking on him, too. He's, Where he's from? walking on him. Where you from? Where you from? <laughs> he might be off that bottle with Henny. But the touchdown was all yeah. Yeah. Yes, go inside. They always tell you guys don't go inside because of the pursuit, but I guess speed kills, huh? You know it's man-to-man. It looked like they were hug blitzing. They're key in the back. Hug blitz. You know, the back blocks, they're mm-hmm. going to blitz. The uh-huh. black releases, he going to cover. So when you uh-huh. see this man-to-man, Look at that. the room is all inside because there's no defenders. I love it. I love it right there. He faster than you, TJ, or not? He better be. He's small. He got he be a lot faster than me. <laughs> All right, break down the walk for him. Let him know. Oh, he on that, that, that OD Genesis. <laughs> yeah. He, With the cleats on, too. 
Boy, you better have families hey. from the hood if you're doing it like hey, new that. New game. Isaiah, and I am off that bottle with Henny. Touchdown uh, all yak. I love it, man. That was a nice play. But uh, you got to check out my play of the week. We got to go to my man, Dondre Tillman. You know his mama named him. Is it Dre? Is it Dre? Dondre, what you doing out there? Lined up, defensive end. Oh, goodness. Don't let the fat fool you. Dondre Tillman goes out there, forces an interception off of the play. You know we're going to show it to you again. Look at Dondre. Still got the little highlight on Played over. Dondre's still out there tuned. Oh, a little, little warm-up for the 40. Little you think he cool the with the interception or would he prefer the sack? He preferred the sack. I'm going to tell you why he didn't get the sack on this play right here. Dondre, you're lined up, facing outwards. Hey, offensive lineman, don't go for the bait, but you're going to take this bait right now. Dondre's just going to go upfield, force it with the stutter step, and then hit him with the spin move, even though you can see the inside arm of the offensive lineman trying to hold him not good enough now in this moment oh if Dondre had his other foot down this would be a sack instead he had to do a gather step stutter flip his hips that split second is the difference between a sack and an interception but still Dondre's still rolling that dude getting that sack though. oh yeah I got that sack it depends on what year though okay (laughs) depends on what team too depends on what scheme too but yeah I had my moments TJ but Dondre Tillman you my player for this week the action continues Sunday with a USFL doubleheader, starting with the Bandits and the Breakers at 4 Eastern on Fox. Then flip over to FS1 for Stars and Maulers, 7.30 Eastern, USFL football, Sunday on Fox at FS1. Coming up, NBA Finals are all tied up, so would you rather have Steph Curry on the shot or Jason Tatum the rest of the series? We'll answer that next. Oh, shit! You know that yet? Steph Curry is averaging just over 31 points in the NBA Finals. And on the other side, Jason Tatum is averaging 20 points. Series is all tied up at a game apiece, and both superstars are the front runners for Finals MVP, according to Fox Bet Sportsbook. So, Antoine, would you rather have Jason Tatum or Steph Curry the rest of the series? I'd rather have Jason Tatum. And I, and I say that because I believe Jason Tatum right now um, can get better, a lot better. Talking about a guy mm-hmm. right now only averaging 20 points a game, shooting 30% from the field. But the, 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 the thing he's done is pass the ball where he has averaging eight and a half assists after two games. But I think he can get a lot better. The room for improvement for him goes to the roof. I think he's still got a couple big games in him. We've seen him have a couple big games each series. He's responded when he hasn't played well. Even last night, I thought he responded well. After a three for 17 night shooting in game one, he came out really aggressive, got going, had 21 points in the first half, um, really put the team on his back there. So I think he's going to get better as the season goes along. And the reason why I didn't pick Steph, if you look at Steph's numbers, they're Steph-like numbers. He's putting up 31 points a game, 45 from the field, 46 from the three. I don't know how much better Steph is going to get as this series goes along. Is he going to go to 35, 40? Is he going to shoot better from the three? Maybe. That may be it. I think Jason Tatum has the most room for improvement. I think he's going to get better as the series goes along. So look for that. I'm with you. Okay, I, so I, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Slick. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Tell, okay. tell us, Rob. You got it, Slick. They say it's you, Slick. It is you, Slick. <laughs> We finally found one thing that we we could agree on, Tuan, and that's that Jason Tatum has a lot of room for improvement. Mm. But the question is, and who would I take for the rest of their careers at this point, is who would I take for the rest of this series? <laughs> and you, Tuan, come on, Tuan. 
There is no way you are rolling the dice on Jason Tatum because he could be better. You know what you're going to get out of Steph Curry, and you know when he's going to give it to you. So Jason Tatum was not good in game one. I think we can all agree on that. And he came out in game two, and I actually didn't like the way he approached the game because, Twan, I don't think at this point in his career he's a guy who can take over, nor do I think that that's the way that the Boston Celtics need to play. I believe you yourself said it. Like, they are good collectively. I need Jason Tatum to play his part. I need him to be a distributor when he can, to take the shots in the flow of the offense. I, it actually worried me when I saw him come out and look like he wanted to prove, hey, you know, that three for 17 in game <laughs> one, that ain't me. Let me show you what I can do. Mm. And while he was, he did have success early on, I thought it sent the wrong message for how the Boston Celtics needed to play. They had 33 dimes in that first game, and Jason Tatum had a big chunk of those. And in the last one, they were well under 20. The ball didn't move. Players didn't move. And by the way, Jason Tatum went off and did his thing, and Jalen Brown said, well, if he's going to do it, I might as well do it too. It wasn't the best look for the Boston Celtics, and that to me is why – I have to go with Steph Curry Mm. because it's not just a matter of what they produce. It's the message they send to the rest of the team. And to this point, Steph Curry has been sending the exact right message to the rest of the team, including in game two where he got after it defensively, even though he's not the best defensive player. I need Jason Tatum to be conscious of the fact that he's not just a leader. I mean, he's not just a scorer. He's a leader. Get him (laughs) tall. Rick, we're not talking about Jason Tatum, just the all-star. This guy was first-team all-NBA. Yeah. The stakes are higher. Things are different now. It's not the same Jason Tatum. We're waiting a couple years and see if he's going to be a star. He is a star. He will get better as this series goes along. He understands that. And, Rick, one question to you. You think Steph mm. is going to get better than what he's playing right now as this series goes along? Mm. He's at 31 points a game, 45 from the three. Yeah. You think he's going to get better? You think he, the numbers goes up? No, but I think he can consistently produce along these lines. And if you're asking me, okay. who do I have more confidence in who's going to impact every game that he plays in, I'm going to say, Steph, I get where you're coming from in terms of what Jason is capable of, but I've just seen too much of a seesaw in terms of Sometimes he gives it to me and sometimes he doesn't. And the impact that it has on the rest of the Celtics is what concerns me. So at this point, look, coming into the series, I was like, if these are close games, if these are battles down the stretch, the reason I picked the Warriors is because I believe that Steph was more consistently going to give me the shots that I needed at the end of games if that's what it came down to. Mm. I just, at this point, I do not trust Jason in that role. Sometimes he gives it to me. Sometimes he doesn't. And I don't put him in that uh, all-NBA, first team, all of that. I don't put him in that Steph, Kawhi, Paul George, LeBron. I don't put him in that category yet. Does he have the talent to get there? Yes. Does he have the understanding of how to impact the game and his team the way those guys do? I believe that's the missing piece, and I don't know that he's going to get it between now and the next two weeks. Man, slick. 
Don't give the man the flowers he deserves, the flowers that he planted and picked. I gave him one or two. I'm just not going to give him the whole bouquet. Golly, if you go all (laughs) NBA first team and then somebody sits there and says, well, I don't think of you as, what else do I have to do? Oh, go out there and win an (laughs) NBA championship? Well, right now, he's on pace to doing just that. Let's talk about where he is. I am going with Jason Tatum. And it's not so much as my confidence in Jason Tatum, but I love Antoine's point. He has more room for improvement in this game, in this series, than Steph Curry. It's more of what I've microanalyzed about what Steph Curry has done in this series. You said some tremendous things, Slick. You said that Steph Curry went out there and set the tone, right? He's the leader, and he's the one that answers in the moment. Yeah. If you guys look at Steph Curry in this series, you know what he's done? He's come out on fire. And then the second half, we've not seen the same Steph Curry. To the point of game one, we didn't see Steph Curry at all in that fourth quarter. While the lead was just slipping away and going away, Steph Curry did not respond. In game two, he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. So now I'm starting to say, is Steph Curry having a little second half fatigue, 34 years young issue in a marathon of a series against this defense <laughs> where he's the only one out there consistently giving them buckets? Remember, Clay is not performing. Remember, Wiggins is not performing. And as they let Steph go in the beginning, is he going in the end? I think in this series going forward, this is going to be about the endurance, the marathon, and Jason Tatum's going to win that one. Coming up, KD's in Brooklyn, but his name was dropped by Draymond Green last night. Uh-oh. Tell you how he should feel about his former teammates' latest comments next on Smooth for Yourself. Draymond Green was asked about there being less offensive firepower around Steph Curry than in the past and said, quote, our offense is always a lot of Steph. It all starts with Steph. When KD was here, our offense still started with Steph. That's the way it's going to be. Woo, slick. How should KD feel about Draymond's smoke? He should feel betrayed, Sellis. I mean, look, Draymond's the one who said, hey, can you come over and help us win some titles because we're running out of gas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he does. And then he runs him out. And then KD goes on the podcast with Draymond in order to clear the air that's not your fault that I left. And now we get this? Come on. Come on, Dre. Do better. That's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow. Talking out of both sides of your mouth.